Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hello and thanks so much for your company. It really means a lot to have you with me. A great show coming up over the next hour. We're going to hear from a guy who's played with some of the biggest names of the 60s and 70s, from Jefferson Airplane to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and the Turtles. Imagine me and you, I do. I think about you day and night. It's only right to think about the girl you love and hold her tight. So happy together If I should call you up Invest a dime And you say you belong to me Lose my mind Imagine how the world could be So very fine So happy together one of my favourite songs ever. He's drummer Johnny Barbata and he's got some terrific stories to tell. We'll also meet the artist who became an overnight hit sensation with this song. name him? When I started in a rock and roll band and everybody called me Hans because that's my birth name. But in 1969 we made Little Green Back. We had a soul band called Soul Intention but Little Green Back has nothing to do with soul so we needed a new name and that became the George Baker selection and I became George. We'll hear more from George Baker later but first to our new music wrap up and to another George who happens to be one of my favourite bad boys. This week, George Thorogood's got a new album out. It's called the original George Thorogood, and it's a collection of hard-stompin', party-down-good songs, all penned by the man himself. Of course, that mega-hit, Bad to the Bone, which is just about to celebrate its 40th anniversary, is part of it. On the day I was born, the nurses all gathered round, and they gazed in wide wonder at the joy they had found. The head nurse spoke up, said, leave this one alone. She could tell right away that I was bad to the bone, bad to the bone, bad to the bone. Bad, 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 bad to the bone. I broke a thousand hearts before I met you. Break a thousand more, baby, before I am through. I wanna be yours, pretty baby. Yours and yours alone. I'm here to tell you, honey. Bad to the bone. The original George Thorogood is out on CD, digital, and in two vinyl LP configurations. Black vinyl, and for the ultimate collector, a limited edition translucent orange LP. New too this week is one from the Eagles. Their Desperado Hybrid Super Audio CD is 10 tracks which have been mastered from the original analogue master tapes for definitive sound. Songs include many of your favourites like Tequila Sunrise as well as the title track. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. Desperado is the second in an unprecedented series that sees all six of the Eagles' iconic 70s studio albums released as the best-sounding CDs and vinyl LPs anywhere in the world. This is A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day.
My next guest are the founders of UK blues rock band Bonham Bullock. Singer-songwriter Deborah Bonham is actually sister to the late John Bonham, who we all knew as the drummer for Led Zeppelin. Deborah and Peter Bullock are husband and wife, and their new self-titled covers album is an inspiring blend of blues, rock, with a little bit of soul. We were uh, a mutual friend's wedding, and so our wedding gift to the bride and groom was we provided the band for them for, for the night, and uh, Debbie got up and played with us. I set fire to my guitar, set fire to my hand, lit her cigarette with my hand. In the that? days when I used to smoke, many, yeah. many years ago. <laughs> no, no, we're so good now. It's all about having fun and late nights and getting up late in the day. That has to be the way that you live, isn't it? Oh, not, not no, the not the cigarettes. Not the cigarettes. They never, ever come into it. But everything else. No, not everything else either. I particularly can't party like I used to. It's just got to that point where, you know, I, re- I really want to at least stay healthy and uh, get on the stage the next night. I'm a one-day-a-week girl. <laughs> oh, I can so relate to that. You kind of have to pace yourself these days. Absolutely. I love this new album. It's a self-titled 13-track covers album. How did you choose the songs that you wanted to incorporate? It was a, not a lot of difficulty, but listen to an awful lot of songs, then I'd pick. And, of course, there's one on there written by Chris Wilson from Australia. I just fell in love with that track. You burn cigarette a cigarette while I was sleeping and you pat your things in a cardboard case a cardboard case and slam the door on me It's alright Move if you think it's alright 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 We had to pay a lot of respect to the songwriter and the performer and in Chris's case that was a mega deal, you know, because he passed away and so the weight felt on my shoulders and It had to come from the heart, you know, we had yeah. to put us in it I think if you're doing a covers album, that you might naively think it'll be easier than writing your own songs. But we, we actually were, were harder on ourselves. It, it made us play in a whole different way and approach them in a whole different way. It was, is it like we were looking after somebody else's kids or something? I don't know. Like- well, the Chris Wilson one is a lovely homage to him. He was very much beloved here in this country. Which else could you point to as your favourite tracks? It's really hard because each track is different and each track... We absolutely love, you know, we, we love the original and we love where we've got them to as well. The Albert King classic, Can't You See What You're Doing To Me, a riveting version of that one. Yeah. yeah. That was about the hardest one because the way Albert wrote it and played it was very defined in the fact that, you know, he had this rolling bass line going all the way through yeah. and, you know, and the guitar and the way he sang it. And we just couldn't copy that. And we were forever watching ourselves because Pete was like, you know, this is Albert King, this is Albert King. So, you know. Well, he's already done it the best way. So I guess, so, I guess if we do the second best version of that, that would be nice. <laughs> I want jobs. you don't mind but we have to touch on the Bonham name I don't want to dwell on it but your history is so rich with the likes of Led Zeppelin in fact when they formed back in 1968 you were just six years old John of course was your older brother who went on to be the drummer in the band tell us a little bit about that musical household it was amazing I was very very lucky to to have the parents I had in that they brought the music into the room really when John was small as well. So that's what was his connection, was that mum and dad always played the big bands and 
Gene Krupa was playing with Benny Goodman, so mum and dad used to play that. And they play a lot of the old blues artists as well, you know, Mahalia Jackson, uh, you know, Billie Holiday, Sarah Vaughan. All of that was going on in our house. And then the Beatles had been introduced because John was about 14 then. And mum had taken him and my other brother, Michael, who was 12 at the time, to see the Beatles. John sort of just looked up and was like, I want to do that. And of course, later on in his life, he did play with Paul McCartney. So that was quite a moment for him. got older in came the Motown James Brown Al Green and all this music was happening so I just grew up with all of that did you sit quietly in the background while John was into music yeah totally well when I first saw Zeppelin really and that was it I went to see them and I was about seven I just felt like it was something otherworldly going on so I was being transported into this dream world you know and it was it was amazing so I thought you know I really want to do that gave you your first leg up, didn't he? And about uh, 1718, John had just passed away. I mean, I was very much working hard at school, you know. My parents thought if I was ever wanted to go into music, I'd really got to have some backup. At school, because I just wanted to sing, I ended up doing opera. And I might have ended up going that way if he'd have um, lived, you know. But after he passed away, I'd been writing a few songs. I called Robert and we did a bit. And I said, well, have I got a chance, do you think? And he said, you've got a great voice, but, you know, you're going to be up against it. And, and he was right, because for years, the whole Bonham thing is a, is a double-edged sword, you know. It's not, people don't just go, oh, oh, great, it's John Bonham's sister, which I never wanted. And I, I sent out my first demos anonymously, but at the same time, I knew it would come out. And, it, you know, it's my, it's my name. And if I can't do that proud, then I've got no business doing music. Really? I would have thought the name Bonham would have helped. It didn't open doors for you. No, and, you know, far from it. And, in fact, I've been fighting against that. It was tough because it all becomes about that. I had to, then had to carve a path for myself. So when did you rediscover the, the, the bluesy side of your being? Well, it was always there. You know, it was always there. Everything I've ever done is rooted in the in the blues, really. And we just forged it, you know, um, a bit more, and especially on this record. So many days since you went away. I often think of you. Which track should we go out on from the new album? 
I'll see you again. Okay. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about See You Again. That was uh, Bernard Fowler, who's, um, he is the Rolling Stones backing singer most of the time for the last 20-odd years. Yeah, and he, he wrote that on, a, on an album called He's, The Borough, and I just loved it. And it was at the time when it became even more special. I loved the lyric. Um, and then all of a sudden the pandemic happened, so it completely more than resonated then, you know. But it, it, when I first heard it, the lyric just got to me. Deborah Bonham, Pete Bullock, we will definitely see you again. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank Fantastic. you. Thanks Thank so you much. very much for having us. And give, oh. give all our love to everyone yeah. in Australia because we can't wait hope, to get hope there. Hope to be able to deliver it live ourselves over there one day. Yeah. It's a terrific album and these guys are really worth seeing live. Check them out if you can. Stay tuned now because up next we meet Dutch singer Hans Boeens, better known as George Baker from the George Baker Selection. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks again for your company. Great to have you here. Time now for our One Hit Wonders. Call me One Hit Wonders. Curse me to the day I die One hit wonder I hit the blunt and just wonder Let me tell you a little bit about my next guest. Hans Boeens survived the Second World War as a child and was raised by his mother in the Netherlands. He spent his school days staring out of windows, dreaming about the day that he could finally become a singer. At 14 he left school and went to work so that he could buy himself a guitar. Today you know him as George Baker from the George Baker Selection. I'll let him tell you how that came about. When I started in a, in a rock and roll band and everybody called me Hans because that's my birth name. But in 1969 we made Little Green Back. We had a soul band called Soul Invention. But Little Green Back has nothing to do with soul. So we needed a new name and that became the George Baker Selection. And I became George. So they've been calling you George ever since? Yeah, 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 yeah. always wanted to be a singer? Always, yes. Or a sailor. Who did you want to be like? When I was young, I was very influenced by Mario Alonza, the opera singer. You know, he made movies and I loved and still love his voice very much. 
later on, it was Elvis. You mentioned that you joined the band Soul Invention and, and that was a soul band that was playing covers of songs by Otis Redding and Sam and Dave. It was at that time that you sat down and wrote Little Green Bag, right? Yeah. I came by that band and I didn't know what soul was. So I bought me a record in the midnight hour. I said, hey, that's nice music. I'm some experience with the record companies and I knew they wanted an original song, a new song. We had a tremendous uh, boss player and he always played the lick, the, the beginning of Little Green Back, while we were rehearsing. And so one night we sat together and um, by improvising we wrote Little Green Back. That's how it started. What were you writing about? I still don't know. <laughs> really? Yeah, really. Our goal was as long as it rhymes and it sings good, it's okay. And and so we started with lyric. But in that time, you had uh, a lot of those lyrics, you know, like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and The Whitest Shade of Pale. From these songs, I still don't know what they mean. So you can use your imagination with the looking back. anybody write about a little green bag? Did you have a little green bag or where did you get the idea? No, no, I, I didn't have a little green bag. It just uh, falls out uh, from the sky. The title was there and I wrote the lyrics around it. Just, it. just imagination. That was the summer of 1969 when you wrote that. When you released the album Little Green Bag the following year, yeah. you had a worldwide smash hit on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> How did that feel? Well, when we were number nine in the Billboard USA, I still was working on the Lemonade Factory. Did you have any idea that that song would be so successful? We didn't really understand you know, the impact of a, of a world hit. But yeah, the song really changed my life, of course, because I, I stopped uh, as, a, as a worker. And I could follow my dream to be a singer, to be a songwriter, to be a musician. Did you know there was something special? No, we didn't expect so much from the song because we recorded it and we all said, OK, it's a good record. But it took about three months before it was on the radio. So uh, we almost forgot it. And then it suddenly it, it became a big hit here in Holland. And then uh, a guy from the USA took the record with him to the USA, and uh, well, he made a he made a, he made a big hit of it there. Yeah. So how did that feel for you? I couldn't say I was in heaven because I had to work very hard at that mo from that moment on. So when such a thing happens, you know, your dream comes true. Of course, I was very happy about that, but I couldn't give it much time because I realized I I, I want to do this my whole life. And so I started uh, as a madman to write songs and to, and try to stay on top. It must have been difficult to do that. At that time then you changed the band's name to the George Baker Selection. And where did you get the name from? From a book of, uh, of Harold Robbins. 
I don't know the title anymore, but there was a private eye. His name was George Baker. And you've been George Baker ever since. Yeah, I like George Baker. But I didn't know it, that it did uh, last 50 years. You know, <laughs> Maybe when I knew that, I took an, I took another name. Did you actually change your name legally? No, 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 no. I still uh, be Hans. At my home, I'm Hans. But outside, when I'm on stage, I'm George. <laughs> you said, George, that hit changed your life and you had to work harder than what you'd worked in the factory. What do you mean by that? Well, I was never at home. My family missed me a lot. There was a lot of pressure. But you did keep going for quite a while. There was a string of singles that followed, and in 1974 you released your fifth album, which was Paloma Blanca, which was again a huge hit for you. I had seen that in Spain on a billboard. And when I played that tune, I thought by myself, this is Paloma Blanca. And I went to the record company and they said, well, this is no good. This is too long. <laughs> the intro is too long. And it runs against the law of a single. But I said to them, okay, if you don't want to re really release it, I find myself another record company. And they don't want that because I was a kind of cash call. So we recorded the song, and at that time, I didn't have a lyric. But everybody was telling me, man, this is such a nice song. Why don't you sing it? So later on, I wrote a lyric and, and recorded it, and the rest is history. about freedom it's about me to break the chain and fly out like a bird like a white dove because all those years i worked in the factory i, I felt mentally like a kind of prisoner and then when i broke out well that's the story of, of paloma blanca yeah that's it i'm chatting with george baker from the george baker selection so paloma blanca george became one of the most successful singles ever it actually was bigger than Little Green Bag, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 especially at that time. I think we sold 10 million copies. What was life like for you then? It was tremendous. Of course, uh, you had your tours, and you come everywhere, and then, uh, well, then you see the impact of a hit, you know. Everybody wants to carry you back. <laughs> you know how it goes. So life was traveling. One day we were in Italy, the other way, the day we were in Germany, and the next day we were in, in Turkey or in England, and so on and so on. It was so hectic that um, I forgot a lot about that because I did do so much and you can't remember everything. I understand that. But there must have been a lot of pressure on you at that time too. And if you, if you didn't like so much the travelling and being away from the family, it would have been pretty tough. Yeah, there was so much going on. I learned that every coin has two sides. And I liked the life. But on the other hand, the expectations became too high and because everybody thought okay Paloma Blanca the next one will be bigger and the next one after that will be bigger did put a lot of pressure on me and it was 1978 and I become to feel more and more empty I, I felt like a, like a jukebox you know everybody wanted something new everybody wanted something from me and I thought by myself will I do this the rest of my life and the answer was no and then I quit George Baker's selection and I went to Spain. I lived there a year doing absolutely nothing. After that year, I started missing to make music and to be a musician and to be on the road. So I thought to myself, okay, I will do it again, but only on my own terms. Yeah. I want that hectic anymore. I want that rush anymore. 
I, I want to do it on, on my way. I do that now since then. Yeah, you, you found the balance. I found the balance. That's, that's the right word. That's the right sentence. I understand. So I know that Little Green Bag was used in the title sequence of the film Reservoir Dogs, the Quentin Tarantino movie, which saw it huge one more time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in 1992, I, I got a phone from my publisher and he told me that the Little Green Bag was in a film of a guy named Tarantino. But at that time, no one knew Tarantino. So I said, okay, nice. Thank you very much for the message. And uh, I forgot about it. <laughs> but 1999, Tarantino made Pulp Fiction, which was uh, a real blockbuster. And then in, in the slipstream of Pulp Fiction came uh, Reservoir Dogs again. And everybody thought, that is a guy from Holland, that is George Baker, Little Green Back, and it went all over the world. It's used in about 40, 50 commercials. So I was back on top again. It's been used for supermarkets and ads for different things on television, in movies. It must be amazing to you. It's, it's, it's amazing, but I think that the most amazing thing to me was the cover of Tom Jones' Tom Jones, he was one of my idols from my youth. And in 75, he did Paloma Blanca. Then he did, uh, in, in 2000, he did uh, Little Back. Looking back on the track for a little green bag. I gotta find just the kind where I'm losing my mind. Out of sight in the night, out of sight in the day Looking back on the track, gonna do it my way your time these days most of the time i spend my days in my in my studio i'm writing songs i do, I do recordings uh, writing arrangements so i'm almost every day i'm busy with, uh, with with music you're still feeling as creative as you always were yeah i have a, a great urge to create every week and with no pressure on you at all you just do it in your own time and whatever you like that's right, because I'm 77, so if I don't can do that now, I can do that never. Yeah, you've earned it. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. George Baker, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye. Saturday night at the movies, who cares what picture you see? When you're hugging with your baby. And streaming time again with media critic Alan Craig. Hi, Alan. Hi, Sandy. Hi, everyone. Tell us about Ambulance. This is something else. This is like a boys' film adventure, action packed. It's like a, an old fashioned man's version of entertainment on steroids. Wow, I'm interested to hear you say it's, it's a man's film. I really enjoyed it. Let me tell everyone what the plot is. It's about a guy who needs money to cover his wife's medical bills, and he's a decorated war veteran who teams up with his adoptive brother to steal $32 million from a Los Angeles bank. The desperate thieves hijack this ambulance that's carrying a severely wounded policeman, and there's a paramedic aboard too. The high-speed chase that ensues seems to take up the entire movie, but it's really well done. It's fast cut, it's action packed, it's a thrill a second, it's just stupid. The story made or a film that's been made for men, the days when men were men and women were, well, they were bored. It's just silly. 
gratuitous car chases, gratuitous shooting scenes, gratuitous muscle men, gratuitous tough talk. I've rarely seen something so stupid. Really? And I really liked it. I don't usually like a car chase, but I was really entertained the whole way through. I thought the production was fabulous. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal in this, and I think he was great. Uh, Also a newcomer that we haven't seen before by the name of Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. I thought his performance was excellent, and he's really something to look at. And then in the role of the paramedic, this most gorgeous girl. I don't, but I'd like to know more. Um, <laughs> she is one of the film's very few saving graces. It's really interesting. Someone asked in, a, in a, uh, an interview, is this film based on a true story? It turns out clearly that it's not. But one of the things they did do in terms of trying to make it look authentic was they hired 50 LAPD SWAT officers to play the bit parts in the film. And they also hired real uh, medicos, real ambulance drivers and stuff as well. The one thing that amazed me about this film was it only cost $40 million because they blew up more tanks than the Ukraine army and they had planes and helicopters and stuff. Just amazing. It's the the most bizarre car chase I think I've ever seen, certainly since the Blues Brothers. I think it's going to do really well at the box office. I think it appeals to all sexes and all ages. I was really surprised by my reaction to it. I'll be very, very surprised if many women like this film. Um, Those that do will be interesting women. And most men won't like it either. The lines sound like they come out of John Wayne. It's just silly. It's called Ambulance and you'll find it in cinemas now. Thanks for your time, Alan. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks, everyone. Don't go anywhere. Up next, we meet a rock and roll drummer with some incredible stories to tell. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Welcome back. You're going to be so glad you stuck around because my next guest is certainly the real deal. He's performed, recorded and jammed with more rock stars than any other drummer in the history of rock and roll. He's played on more than 100 albums and on 28 hit singles. His first brush with fame, however, didn't come from music. Johnny Barbato was three years old when his German-speaking mother rescued Albert Einstein when he became stranded on a boat on a lake. Little Johnny rode all the way home on Albert's knee. Thanks to Alex from Broken Hill in New South Wales, I have Johnny Barbato with me today. He begins by telling us how he got his start with the group The Turtles. I auditioned for him and Bones Howell produced uh, Mamas and Papas and other groups. So when he heard me play, he said, get that drummer and uh, the rest was history. And you were with them for some of their biggest singles. My very favourite one was Happy Together. Tell me about that song. Well, it was a huge song. As a matter of fact, it was so big when I met Paul McCartney. We knocked Penny Lane at a number one spot and it was there for like eight weeks. And you said that playing drums on Happy Together was a song that stylized you as a drummer. What do you mean by that? The things I played in the song set up the verses and chorus. What I played in there was unusual what I did in there. It became one of your trademarks to incorporate that stick twirling into your performance, didn't it? Absolutely. I was one of the stick twirling drummers in the 60s, myself and Dino Donnelly, the Rascals. We were the two stick twirling drummers. And to this day, it's like, you know, pretty famous. Imagine me and you, I do I think about you day and night It's only right to think about the girl you love And hold her tight, so happy together If I should call you up, invest a dime And you say you belong to me, lose my mind Imagine how the world could be So very fine, so happy together Toss the dice, it had to be The only one for me is you And you for me, so happy together The dice, it had to be The only one for me is you 
and you for me, so happy together. What was it like in those days? <laughs> it was pretty cool. I'm, you know, rock and roll heaven. When, I, when we did Ed Sullivan, I had, I had people, relatives call me that they never knew about. Did you get on well with the other guys? Yeah, I did. I, I think they might have been a little jealous of me, though, because I seem to be the most popular. You know, Mark and Howard were heavy set. That's what they called the Turtles. They were like 225 pounds. They were pretty big. That's why they called themselves the Turtles? Apparently, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. You gotta think about you. I just can't live without you. I really want you ever near me. You co-wrote Eleanor. What were you writing about? She was nobody. It was just something we made up. Just another love song? Yeah, basically. That's what it was. There's no one like you, Eleanor, really. Let's go out to a movie What do you say now, Eleanor, can we? They'll turn the lights way down low And maybe we won't watch the show I think I love you, Eleanor, love me The Turtles were a smash, I mean, they were a huge group We toured everywhere, we played every kind of venue you can imagine there really wasn't anything like it. Everything went psychedelic in the 70s, and you know, the music totally changed. But the 60s were great. I think when I got older, I realized what really, a big pop star I really was in the eyes of the public. You didn't feel it yourself? When I turned the radio on, and Happy Together was playing on three different stations at the same time, I kept turning the dial and I kept hearing it. I go, wow, I guess we have arrived. <laughs> Before that, we, we, you know, we weren't that big. But when Happy Together came out, that really put us over the, over the top. And you had your choice of girls, I'd imagine, too. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were there. <laughs> Every kind you can imagine, from models to actresses to, you know, playboy bunnies, all that, the whole thing. Uh, sounds like great fun. As 1970 approaches, you're invited to join Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Tell us about that. I got with those guys at Four Way Street. Four Way Street was a huge album. It's number one album of the year, sold five million albums. You, who are on the road must have a code that you can live by and so become yourself because the past is just a goodbye teach your children well their father's hell did slowly go by them on your dreams The one they picked The one you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they love you Graham Nash albums, the Crosby Nash album. I played on Stephen Stills' White album with Ringo, and I played on Neil Young's Time Fades Away. I played on over 100 albums, 28 singles. There's a lot of stories behind that. I could go into a million stories. Can you share one? Yeah, I can. We opened up at Winterland with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, myself. And they always do an acoustic set first, and Stephen played an extra song that pissed everybody off. So when we go back and take a break while they're rolling out the stage, and Graham Nash was 
really boiling Stephen out, and it was really a bad. The people were stomping their feet. They wanted us to come on. Bill Graham was putting $100 bills under the door trying to get us out. I finally said, well, let's go play. And they all looked at each other, okay, let's go. And so we went out and we finally played. I thought the band was going to break up right there. So they were really mad at Stephen. I'll never forget that night. You kind of saved CSNY single-handedly. Yeah, I did. <laughs> On Fourway Street, one of the biggest songs was the protest song, Ohio, about the Kent State shootings at the time. The music had certainly changed a lot from the music that you were playing with the Turtles just a few years earlier, hadn't it? Absolutely, totally different bag. They were the biggest group in the world at the time. I love being in a political group. on together, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and, and later Neil Young? Well, they went through a lot of changes. I mean, they, they had some problems along the line, but for the most part, they got along. Today, I don't think that they're speaking that much together. I mean, Crosby certainly isn't. He's angry, isn't he? Well, he went through a lot of changes, you know, David. So you were with CSNY for two years from 1970, and in 72, while CSNY were on an extended break, David Crosby introduced you to the band Jefferson Airplane. Why did he do that? Because they were kind of in a lull, and, and, and the airplane were like, they were like a cult band. And the Grateful Dead didn't have any gold records, and we had a bunch of them. Uh, and they were always jealous of that. And a lot of stories there. Go on, give me one. The Golden Gate Park, we, we, we were the headliner, but Paul said, you know, let, let the Grateful Dead start, because the fog's going to roll in, and we don't want to be in the fog. And so certainly when we got through, the fog rolled in. But I did a drum solo in front of 150,000 people, and that was really cool. So here's a really good one. I'm playing for Johnny Ruiz, and, the, and he, he opens up. We just followed Alice Cooper. It's a pop festival. It turned into night by the time we started playing. And it's, it's like 104 degrees outside. It's the 4th of July. Anyway, the power goes out. Like he playing, and all those people started flipping their big lighters on. So Hugh came over to the stadium. It was the 4th of July. I ended up playing a 45-minute drum solo, which I could never done in my life. I did the power out. I got out. Feels like a freak. Right as I do my drum solo, my finale thing of my drum solo, the lights came back on. I got a five-minute drum applause. You know how long that is when you're waiting on stage? It's a long applause. My hands are like rubber. That literally was the night the lights went out in Georgia. organic food and stuff. I'm a health freak, you know. I'm, I'm 76 years old. I, I grow all my hair. I might be 10% gray. It's all because of what I eat, you know, and take care of myself. As a session drummer, Johnny Barbada was in huge demand. He was invited to join the Eagles, but turned them down. I came back from my Starship tour. Linda Ransom called me one to do a blue bio-op. Linda, I'm too tired. Give me a week. No, I need, I'm going to start tomorrow. I got the time, but it's so this next day, uh, Jackson Brown, he wanted me to do his album. I couldn't do that, so I turned on Elvis, I turned on him, I turned on Dan Morrison, and of course I turned the Eagles down. I was just too tired. I couldn't do them all. And Dan Morrison, he came into my house. Found me. I lived out in the woods up in Mendocino. I don't even find my place. I was walking in the house and hey, damn, I couldn't believe that. Besides Neil Young and Bob Dylan, he was my third favorite guy. He wanted me to go on tour with him and do his album. I couldn't do them all. Nobody feels any pain. Tonight as we stand inside the rain. Everybody knows Baby's got new clothes Just lately 
Dorchester Hotel, Peter's Club called the Speakeasy. So we go in there, Carney's having a drink with Graham Nash at the bar. We go up in the back, we sit down, and I'm looking at the bar, there's Rod Stewart, Derek Hendricks, and Tyler were just coming up the ladder. And we look over, and there's Ringo and John sitting over next to us. I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting between Lennon and Ringo, who at the time were stoned an LSD. So Rody comes over with a pitcher of beer, he trips and spills the whole thing on John Lennon's lap. He, he who's smoking a cigarette and doesn't say a word, kind of broke the ice. So I leaned over to John Lennon and said, well, gee, I'm sorry about that. I said, oh, it's nothing, no big deal. And he said, well, it wasn't for you guys. I guess we wouldn't be here. What do you mean? You know, Beatles, Turtles? He said, well, he got real humble. He says, well, everything we got, we stole from Chuck Berry. <laughs> Pretty funny. That was rock and roll heaven. Amazing. Johnny Barbada, do you miss rock and roll heaven? Well, I'm not out of it. I still play. I play with two or three different bands. I sit with them and play. It's fun. Yeah. Sounds like your whole life's been pretty much fun. It's been a good ride. I can't complain. <laughs> good for you. Johnny Barbada, thank you so much for your time today. Great hearing your stories. And uh, we'll all look forward to reading the book. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You can pick yourself up a copy of Johnny's book, The Legendary Life of a Rockstar Drummer, by emailing him, johnnybarbata at gmail.com. And that's Johnny with one N. And that's where I'll leave you today. Thanks again for your company. If you feel like dropping me a line with your comments, feedback or suggestions for anyone you'd like to hear interviewed, just send me a message, sandy at abreathoffreshair.com.au. I hope you'll join me again same time next week. Take care, won't you, until we meet again. See you next time. Because it's a beautiful day been listening to a breath of fresh air with sandy k beautiful day oh baby any day that you're gone away it's a beautiful day